This morning we're going to be shifting gears a little bit after the past 12 weeks. And we, when we went line by line through the Apostles' Creed and the 12 Statements of Faith, I hope that those sermons were beneficial in helping you to uh, define what's essential in your Christian belief. If you missed any of the sermons or want to listen again, they're always on the church website or archived um, on, on the audio archive of the sermons of First United Methodist Church. Uh, this morning, like I mentioned, we're going to be shifting gears and spending some time thinking a little bit about gratitude and about Thanksgiving as we prepare together for the Thanksgiving holiday and as we also start to prepare ourselves for the season of Advent. And so our scripture this morning is going to be a little bit different than how we've done usually. I, if you've noticed, I didn't read a scripture to start this morning's message because this morning I want us to kind of walk through just a little bit through the Old Testament book of Job. Job's not always one of my favorites uh, books of the Bible. It's interesting, and, and it's a good story. And so uh, what I'm going to do is just have some scriptures scattered throughout this morning's sermon for us to follow along and see in Job's story how, um, how, how he is able to offer gratitude and thanksgiving even as he faces what's going on, and it's not dependent on what God does at the end. So at first glance, this story is probably not one that you and I would think about when we think about Thanksgiving. However, I think if we look at this story, especially in our world today, we can see how Job was able to experience loss, he was able to have faith, and he was able to still offer gratitude and thanksgiving to God, even as he was sitting in sackcloth and he had covered himself with ashes. So this morning's story begins with a man who seemingly had everything. And if you read the first chapter of Job, it gives you just a snapshot of who he was, of what he had, and of the blessings that he had. And the scripture tells us this. A man in the land of Uz was named Job. That man was honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a vast number of servants, so that he was greater than all the people of the east. Each of his sons hosted a feast in his own house on his birthday. They invited their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast had completed, Job would send word and purify his children. Getting up early in the morning, he prepared an entirely burned offering for each one of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and then cursed God in their hearts. Job did this regularly. So what does the scripture tell us? Does it not tell us that Job pretty much had everything that we would imagine someone in biblical times would have in terms of having everything? He had a wife, he had an abundance of children, he had a multitude of servants, of animals in his flocks, in his herds. He had servants to care for everything, to take care of every need, to, to um, care for his animals and, and everything. In fact, the scripture tells us, and I don't know if you caught it, at the, in the middle of, of our reading this morning, the scripture says that he was greater than all the people of the East. And so this man who lacks nothing made sure to offer sacrifice, is what the Scripture tells us, to cover his sins and to cover the sins of his children. And the Scripture says, not because he thought that they had sinned, but the Scripture tells us that he made sure to cover their sins just in case they had sinned in the quiet of their heart or in the stillness of, of whatever they were doing and spoke out against God. 
And so in Job's story, we see someone who, who has it all together, or we might think would have it all together, and that is until the adversary or the accuser appears before God, telling God that the only reason Job offers his praise and thanksgiving is because of the blessings he has, because of, of what he has, because of who he is. And so he says this, Does Job revere God for nothing? Haven't you fenced, in him, fenced him in his house and all he has and blessed the work of his hands so that his possessions extend throughout the earth? But stretch out your hand and strike all he has. He will certainly curse you to his face. So what is the accuser saying here? The accuser saying that the only reason that Job worships God, that Job offers sacrifice to God, that Job offers thanksgiving to God, is because of the blessings that he's received, isn't it? And so what the accuser is saying is that Job's worship doesn't come out of his heart. It doesn't come out of his faith. But he's worshiping God because of obligation. Because of what God has done, done for him. And so he just, he just is, is obligated to offer it back. And so God told the accuser, you're allowed to punish Job. Just not his person. And so the oxen and the donkeys were taken by the Sabians. His servants were killed. His flocks of sheep were devoured by fire that fell down from heaven, and the shepherds watching over them perished as well. The camels were taken by the Chaldeans, with the camel herders being put to the sword. And then the scripture tells us that finally, all of Job's children were killed when they gathered in the home of the eldest son. As they ate and drank, a strong wind came from the desert and struck all four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people and they all died. And so Job's reaction in Job chapter 1 verse 20 through 22 says, Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's wound, and naked I will return there. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Bless the Lord's name. And the scripture tells us in all, Job didn't sin or blame God. The adversary returned to God, challenging him again, saying that Job was still worshiping because nothing had happened to his physical person. And so the adversary said, skin for skin, people will give up everything they have in exchange for their lives. Stretch out your hands, strike his bones and flesh, then he will definitely curse you face to face. And so God allowed that to happen, didn't he? Allowing the, the adversary to strike Job with sores all over his body until eventually he, is, uh, he, he only couldn't take Job's life. So in sores, Job sat there in, in a mound of ashes, in sackcloth. He was questioned by his wife who told him to curse God. He was later joined by four friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. And before they began to question him, his faith in God, and offer their advice, Job said this, But I would seek God, put my case to God, who does great things beyond comp comprehension, wonderful things without number. So even as Job's sitting in the ash pile, the ash heap, what is he saying? Isn't he still seeking out God's truth? Isn't he still seeking God's presence surrounding him even as he finds himself 
in the place that on that prior slide, he's sitting in the ashes, he's covered in sores, he's nothing that any, that, where anyone would want to be. And I love Job's friends in this story because they're trying to explain and, and justify what happened, aren't they? They're trying to tell him that it's what he did, what he didn't do, what, what he should have done. But in all of this, he's not willing to curse God. He's willing to remain faithful and even true, even as he worshiped God from the ashes. If you look at, at Job, so a lot of the, the middle of Job is, is this interaction between Job and his friends until Job 38, chapter 38. When God appears in a whirlwind and he questions Job. God asks Job, why can you doubt? God goes through the creation and, and lists all of the things that we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and, and all of the other ways that we know in Scripture that God has chosen to interact with us and with all of His people. And God says, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I created this? Where were you when, when I caused the, the, the oceans to separate and land to come forth and animals to bless the earth and, and everything else? And what is God saying there? He's saying that, that I'm far greater than, than you can ever imagine. And so Job's answer to that is, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? I have indeed spoken about things I didn't understand, wonders beyond my comprehension. You said, listen and I will speak. I will question you and you will inform me. My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort in dust and in ashes. I don't want to ever find comfort in dust and ashes. I'm gonna, I, that wasn't part of my sermon, but that one just kind of jumped out at me this morning. Does anyone? But I also think that if we're a people of faith that believes that God's hand is in everything and is part of everything, that believes that God can take whatever happens in our lives, whether we might deem it not good, and God can make something out of it that's positive or can, can help us to grow or can help us to see uh, His glory or His faith in a different way, then maybe we need to look and, and see about what it means for us to relent and find comfort or gratitude when we're sitting in the dust and in the ashes. And then what does God do? He turns His attention to Job's friends. And He tells him, I'm angry at you. Because you haven't spoken about me correctly to Job. And God tells them to offer a sacrifice. And then he says, the only way you're going to be blessed, though, the only way you're going to be restored is if Job prays over you. All right, so knowing Job's story, it ends by saying God blessed Job's later day, latter days more than his former ones. And here's where I want us to sit and think for a minute this morning. As I think knowing Job's story... And knowing uh, the end of the story, it's really easy for us to go, oh, well, of course Job's thankful because God blessed him double at the end. His flocks of sheep were double, his, his oxen, his pairs of oxen were double, his number of female donkeys and camels and servants. He had seven more sons and three more daughters. All of these things would cause us to be thankful. But see, friends, where I want us to stop today and to think about Job's story, or, or where at least I'm seeing it, is I think it's important for us to see and to look 
and to think about how Job was thankful through it all. Even as he found himself sitting in the dust and in the ashes. Even as he found himself in a place that he never, never would have imagined that he would find himself sitting in. The scripture tells us that he was able to remain a a person of gratitude and a person who offered thanks. Even as things were unraveling and even as things were coming apart. Job was thankful through it all. That means his thankfulness didn't necessarily come from his experience, did it? It means that that his thankfulness didn't necessarily come out out of the way that, that he was experiencing God's blessings. It means that his thankfulness was part of who he was. As a person that, that chose to be in relationship with God, as a person that, that chose to, per, per, to pursue a relationship with God, being thankful was part of who he was and who he is and how his heart, he had, he had crafted and, and, and pointed his heart toward so that even as he found his life falling apart and he went from sitting on blankets in his tents to sackcloth, and ashes, he was able to still give God thanks. If we revisit the very beginning of Job's story, even as he heard of of the stealing of his donkeys, his oxen, his camels, even as he heard of the incineration of the flocks and the unfortunate deaths of his children, Job 1, 20, verse 22, says that he arose, he tore his clothes, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshipped saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return there. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Bless the Lord's name. Friends, in all this, Job didn't blame God. And it means that in the worst of times, he was able to be thankful, doesn't it? It means that in the worst of times, even as as he experienced pain, he was able to to offer gratitude. He was able to uh, be present with God, even as he experienced grief and, and the whole range of emotions that all of us know he experienced. But here's what I think we can learn from this story this morning. Job didn't hinge his gratitude on what God had done or what God was doing, did he? His gratitude was part of who he was before any of these things happened to him. Giving God thanks was part of who he was. It was part of of who he had taught himself to be. It was part of what he practiced so that it was only natural for him to give God his worship even as things seemed to unravel right before his eyes. I think there's some parallels to Job's story. In today's culture, in today's cult and in, in world. I mean, people who on the outside may have, have appeared to have it all together or or had everything. Because of the last 18 months, I mean, things have changed. We've all appeared or, or thought that, that things were all where we wanted them to be. Whether it was travel or birthdays or anniversaries or, or all sorts of other things. Everything's been affected. But like Job in everything, we can give God thanks. For the continued blessings that we have. 
for the continued way that God works in and through our lives, for the way that God has created us and surrounded us with a community of people that are are holding us accountable but encouraging us and helping us to be the church and the people that God has created us and wants us to be. I'm not saying we need to seek out sackcloth and ashes because I sure don't want to be there. But what I'm saying is I can craft my life now to where whenever I find myself in that place, it's already in my heart to give God thanks and to offer Him gratitude. Not because of the situation necessarily at that time, because it's already part of who I am and how I offer God my thanks when I'm in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and somewhere in between there's anything we can take from Job's story this morning is that he was able to do that and it didn't hinge on what God had done but his gratitude hinged on how he had already allowed God to work in and through his lives and change his heart 